we're in the people business. Everything, whatever, no matter what industry you're in the people business. So I read this book by Howard Schultz. He says, I'm not in the coffee business, Starbucks guy. I think it's Howard Schultz. I'm in the people business. Well, whatever you're doing, you're in the people business. So how do you win with people? That's a big one. And then to really answer your question the right way with the best advice, it comes from Bob Goff. And Bob Goff says, pretend that every person that you meet has a sticker on their forehead that says, make me feel special. Oh. Yeah, I want to feel special. Whoa, that's heavy. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm like, if you do that well. Golly, that's... If you do that in a boardroom, if you do that on a sales pitch, if you do that on a nursing floor, if you do that as you're coming out of surgery as a doctor and you're explaining to that family that they're going to lose their son, no matter what you're doing, if you can make your wife in the kitchen, your kid at a ball game, and just imagine them having a sticker on their forehead that says, make me feel special. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Temsa Leadership Podcast. My name is Eric Claus, and once again, I have the honor to be able to be your host. In this episode, I have a conversation with an amazing person and an exceptional leader, Chris Brown. Chris is an author, a nationally known speaker, and a financial expert. In this conversation, Chris and I discuss some lessons learned from his childhood that involved living in homeless shelters, being bullied, being exposed to abuse, and at times sleeping under bridges and in cars with nothing to eat. Chris will share how surviving these events made him resilient and inspired him to help and add value to others across the country. Buckle up everyone, this conversation will challenge you in a way that you are not expecting. I have your book here and restored, transforming the sting of your past into purpose for today. And I want to talk to you about that, Chris. I listened to the audible part. My whole family has read this and I want to talk about that. But here is, here is something that I wanted to ask you about is you're a public figure, right? So you've been on national syndicated radio, multiple podcasts, have spoken all around the country in stadiums, several different conferences, a financial expert, and you have been this amazing figure and people have looked up to you. And there was a story, and I I wanted to start off with this, Chris, that, so, you know, I think our image, sometimes we assume certain things. And the story that I I wanted to kind of start this off with was you were in a boardroom with some influential people Mm -hmm. and, you know, you were traveling, you're working for, you know, a national company that had a national product and you were part of that team. And one of the comments to you when you were watching yourself and they were, you know, I was, I would use the word constructively criticizing your speaking ability and someone had mentioned you you need to be more vulnerable mm-hmm. and you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth and you're perfect you know you have the look you have the you're charismatic and at that moment there were some thoughts that came across mm-hmm. your mind and i'm going to spend about 10 seconds and i'm going to i'm going to ask you to elaborate on that but what this book does people did not know that 
you know, your childhood of, you know, having a dad that leaves at year one and you watch your mom get abused, you are bullied on another level, you are in and out of homeless shelters, you at one point, you know, live in a car, you sleep under a bridge, like all of these just traumatic things that happen in your life. And the story brings tears to your eyes. But what I wanted to ask you about is you wrote this book, I'm assuming, because you wanted to provide hope to others. Mm -hmm. But man, just uncover that a little bit for us because your story is remarkable. I know we're going to be talking about that, but it's hard to even describe on, on what happened. Yeah, you know, I, we all have a story and we have a choice on how we view our story. Mm-hmm. Some of us have a story that could be more dramatic, like the one that you're, like mine, where it involves abuse and homelessness, but we all have a story of just pain is real mm-hmm. and we all have that. And we have a choice on how we process that pain. And I came to, a, came to grips, well, why did I write the book? I wrote the book because I wanted to obviously get my story down. What actually has happened? What hasn't happened? Mm-hmm. I wanted to like dive in and like, let's actually do the hard work all the way back from birth, all the way to now. And like, what actually happened? What stories am I making up in my head? Mm-hmm. And what actually happened? And then I need to frame, like I have this line in the sand that I draw and I have a perspective of how I'm going to view it. And putting it on paper allowed me to really put that line in the sand and have a perspective that I will be a victor out of my story and not a victim. And we all have that choice. How we look at, oh, because of this, because of that, I grew up on this side of the tracks or I don't have the lineage, I don't have the opportunities, I don't have the whatever it may be. We all can say we don't have something and we do have other things. It's just how we look at it. And so for me, number one is I wanted to get it all on paper. I thought it was very therapeutic for me to write out my story. And, and maybe someone's listening today and they don't, have, they don't aspire to be an author. I actually didn't write it to be an author. I wrote it to, as a therapy technique to get it down on paper and then realized, you know, this actually has legs. I think this could minister to a lot of people. So that was number one. And then I just really believe we all have something. We have a choice on how we look at our past. We can either regret it or we can let, let life restore it. Uh, for I'm, I'm a person of faith, and so I believe that God is restoring my past, taking the, the messy parts of my past and making it a message. And, you know, vulnerability, and here's the deal. I, I, what I've noticed, I'm 46 years old at the time of recording this, this show. I have learned that people are impressed with your strengths, but they're impacted by your weaknesses. This book highlights the fact that I'm not as strong as the people in that boardroom thought. Mm -hmm. That I actually have a very destructive past with a lot of baggage that comes with a lot of less than polished parts of me. Once I started leading out with that vulnerability is where the impact started. And I think everyone listening in, no matter what their background, everybody wants to have an impact. And you're gonna impact people through the weak parts of you and through the vulnerable parts of you not the impressive parts of you. There's always somebody that's out there that's more impressive than you. There just is. But only you have the story that you have and how you decide to leverage and maximize the hard parts of your life. It's up to you. But whether you're a person of faith or not, life, you can have a lot of impact by leveraging the hard parts of your story, not just the highlights. 
That's one of the, and you're a pastor for those that are not aware and, you know, follow your messages on Spotify. And you do that a lot with, you know, showing the vulnerable side of you. And it's, you're right. It's very powerful because, you know, it's easy to, you know, your accolades and your success, but when you get real, you immediately connect mm -hmm. with people and they're like, yeah, me too. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've had a struggle, you have a struggle and yeah, I dare say that is is one of the standout things for you on why you've been able to connect with so many people, you know, across the country and probably world. You mentioned in one of the messages and, you know, during our conversations before is that you spent a lot of your successful part of your career and journey kind of not feeling worthy or qualified to do positions that you have had an opportunity to do, right? So you're transforming yourself to become a, a victor. You're putting these positions that you're like, whoa, I'm in there, I'm in over, over my head. I don't feel qualified or imposter syndrome. Mm. So how do you wrestle with that? And you know, what can you teach us about that struggle with you? And is it still a struggle with you or for you? No, I think it is. And you know, one time I was interviewing, I was on the other side of the microphone interviewing a pastor who leads a church of like, I don't know, some 50,000 people a weekend. It's just somebody who's got a lot of influence and not only in the faith community, but also in the secular community. And I asked him about that same question and the imposter syndrome doesn't go away. Okay. For anybody who's listening in and you want to accomplish something in this world, you're always going to be stretching yourself right up to that limit where you feel like you're not qualified. So it doesn't, it's not like you get to a point where it goes away. Actually, the more you stretch yourself, it gets worse Okay. because you have more at risk. You have more, more at stake and you feel like, oh my goodness, if I mess this up, you feel like you're not good enough and it never goes away. And this is no no secret to anyone listening in is that we live in a comparison culture where we are exposed to everyone's highlight reel, whether it be on social media or somehow it's highlighted. But because of what we just talked about, the lack of vulnerability, the lack of rawness, the lack of realness, the lack of transparency, we're exposed to everyone's highlight reel in the best parts of their life. And so what we're doing is we know our reality. We know our highlight reel, but we also know our reality. We know how good we're not. We know our struggles. For me, for instance, I'm going to lead out some vulnerability right now. I may have a real eloquent answer. Let's say in like 10 minutes, I'm just going to like just crush a like 90 second answer. Like, oh my goodness, he's so eloquent and smart. Folks, I got like a five on my SAT. Like literally, I got like a five. Like, I am so not smart. I know that about me. So I know my reality. I know everyone else's highlight reel. I don't know their reality. So immediately there's this gap and it's how do you handle that? That gap is the imposter syndrome. That gap is feeling like you're not good enough. And so I just came to the, the realization that it's never going to go away, but I've got to get a firm identity. And this goes back to what you originally asked. I, for me, how, do I wrestle with it still? Less and less. And here's the reason why. I wrestle with it less and less because on the success side, you're always going to do I just got done telling you that. It, it's going to continue. But on your identity side, you have to understand like, what is it that really subscribes value to you? For me, again, I keep going back to faith-based and for me, I, I know who I am and I know whose I am. That's important to me. So therefore, I don't measure myself on accolades, on achievements. There's a great book out there called Halftime. I can't recommend it enough. I read that at 40. And at 40, I, I had this realization that the, here's the summary of the book and I hate to ruin it for everyone, but I'm going to, <laughs> the, the gist of it is, and this is a gross oversimplification, but the first half of my life, it was all about achievement and accolades. 
okay, and success. The second half of my life, and this is where, going back to your question, how do you handle this imposter syndrome? I'm not about achievements and accolades anymore. And so it's not about success now, it's about significance. It's not about achievement and accolades. I wanna leave a legacy. I wanna leave some, I wanna parent my children really well. I wanna be able to listen to what they're saying and what they're not saying. I wanna be a extremely good husband. I wanna be a great friend. I wanna be an empathetic leader. So I'm going after, you know, like significance. I'm not going after like that next like data boy. And that is the danger of my past that I talk about in the book is that because I didn't have data boys as a kid and a rejection and abandonment and multiple fathers walking out on us and a mom that worked three jobs to make ends meet and I came home to an empty house and didn't get any data boys. It took me 20 years of adulthood to realize I was chasing data boys and chasing, I am proud of you. Hey, good job. Well done. That speech was amazing. That podcast was insane. 11 million downloads. Way to go. You're incredible. I was chasing that stuff. And now I'm not. And it's just a different season. So there's a 25-year-old listening in right now like, wait, I'm not supposed to have any ambition? No, there's seasons. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, I think there's reckless ambition where you're just recklessly going after more and more. Well, that is not a good life. You'll never find more. You're going to keep going and you're going to keep going and you're never going to find more. So just, I don't know. I, for me, I just, I warn everybody against trying to measure yourself up against everyone else's highlight reel, trying to chase accolades and achievement and going after more for more sake, going after more for a legacy or a deeper purpose. That's okay. But going after more just to find more. Once you get there, the bullseye moves mm-hmm. and then there's more. And then there's more. And, yeah. and you know this, you've lived a while. And so you know this, but man, that person that right now, you're finding yourself in reckless ambition and you're just chasing and striving. I would just encourage you to take a two day hiatus and get away somewhere and just think about what really matters. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack with what you just said. And it is hard, right? New leaders are coming up and they need or they feel like they need to be recognized to be able to get to the next level. And then you do. And then, you know, one of the key things, and I know this has been, you know, something in your life is I have fought imposter syndrome my whole life as well. I'm more comfortable setting in it Mm -hmm. right now. But I think not focusing on me, but focusing on growing my way through it has been a huge thing. You know, and for me, if I get caught in my mind without feeding it or reading or scripture, whatever it is, I'm not in a good place. Like, I, I, I can't sit in my own. So, that's probably one of the key things. And I know, you know, for you, you know, you are, you know, yes, a man of faith, but, you know, you are constantly moving and not becoming satisfied within the moment. Like, what's next? How can I add value to others? How can I grow? And that's a powerful thing, but there is a lot to unpack with what you said, and I I appreciate your insights on that. Well, what you just said is the key. That's the difference. You said, I'm still a person. I I don't want anyone to hear I'm lazy now, and I just sit back and don't Mm -hmm. do anything. I'm still very driven, and you see that part of me. My why changed. It's the why. I'm not chasing more for more. I'm chasing significance and legacy and trying to make a difference and impact. So that's the big difference. Yeah. This is a great transition because of chasing significance. So when I first met you and it came through Rachel and Christopher, our kids, Clarissa and I's kids, and what you and Holly were doing, and no one was watching, by the way, is you were taking youth because our kids went to the same school. Mm Mm-hmm. They were coming to your farm and you were 
mentoring and investing in them and no one was watching. To me, Chris, that had such a profound impact on me because you were not doing it for accolades. Like that is significance. And to go back to my original statement in the beginning, like I am seeing that in their character right now about how what you guys did is going to outlast you and me. Like, mm -hmm. and they're investing into other people as a result of what you guys did for them. Dude, if that is not significance, I don't know what is. And that, that it, it's hard to even put in the words of how powerful that was. So for the people that are listening to this, to think about everything that they do needs to be in the spotlight. That is completely wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, do it for the right reasons. Do it the add value. The other stuff is going to come. That has been your world. Is that not right? Yeah, you know, that's what you're just explaining to me now. I mean, I, I have not uh, looked at it. That's very encouraging to hear it from your perspective. And that is kind of what, what's happened. I just don't think about it every day. That right there is so much more rewarding yeah. to me than a standing ovation after a 30 minute talk. That, that's a really big deal to me. You know, for me, it's just, you know, there, there's this the law of, I don't know if everyone's heard of this before, but the law of reciprocity. And I'm getting the reward today at the time that we're recording this. I'm getting the reward today of hearing a parent of somebody I poured into a years ago, shoot, four or five years ago on, I think it was Wednesdays, but like every Wednesday for like a few years. And for me, I'm getting back, but you don't get that reward that I'm feeling right now unless you put something in. And so I think we all got to ask ourselves, you know, you can't make uh, withdrawals unless you make deposits. So in your friendships, if you're listening in in your friendships, so what are you getting out of your friendships? Well, <laughs> maybe it's the wrong perspective. What are you putting in? Leadership. What are you getting from the team? What are you putting in? The loyalty. Why well, the team is not loyal. Well, are you showing loyalty? I think we can either focus on what we can't control or we can focus on what we can control. We have a choice in life. Focusing on what you can't control, think about it, is so disempowering. Like, how fun is that to focus on things you can't control in politics right now or what's going on in Israel? You can, what can you control, though? Mm -hmm. You know, you can control. So for me, I'm all about what can you control. And for me, it's the law of reciprocity. What can I put into relationships? What can I add value to this world? And then the world's going to add value to me. But, you know, there's a few people that, that goes back to that victim's mindset. If you just sit back and wait for the world to happen to you, you know, it's so a lot of that's my message in the book, too. It's just like, hey, this is what I've been dealt with. I can't go back in time and I can't control my past. Mm -hmm. What I can control is how I transform the sting of my past into purpose for today. The one thing that I want to talk about in transition is you talk about deposits and withdrawals. And speaking leadership, we have to make a lot more deposits than we do withdrawals because our withdrawals are bigger. So for the leader that is like, wow, I want to be a leader. Like I respect you. I respect other people. There's an art to it. And you know, adding value is something that I think we commonly that we say, but there is so much depth to that mm -hmm. about making, make, making people feel a certain way. So you don't know what I'm getting ready to say. So it's going to be a oh little dear. bit fun. So, <laughs> but there are several people that have worked for you, young people that have 
been to the farm and you guys invested in them and now they're at the point where they either work on your farm, they help you out with, you know, different projects. And here are what a couple of people shared with me about you. And this is where we're talking about deposits, okay? Mm. I know this and there's so much, there's a whole podcast literally on these things I'm going to share, but there's three things. They said that Chris is one of the best encouragers that they have ever been around. Mm. That's the first thing. Like that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that. The next thing was your work ethic is so incredible that you make them want to work harder, mm-hmm. literally by you role modeling, mm-hmm. leading by example. And then the last thing, and I'm going to talk to you about this too, is that they said, and this, these are young people, Chris, mm-hmm. that you make them feel like they are the most important person in the world when you were talking with them. I have seen that. It is unlike anything I have ever seen. I, and, and why I said that, I think we've all been in conversations where you're trying to talk to somebody and immediately they're focused. Like, you know they're not there. Mm-hmm. You do it on another level. But those three qualities about making deposits in people's lives, these are what you have role modeled for people that is not accidental. Like, can you unpack at least one of those and just share with us, where did you learn that? Why do you do that? It's intentional, but it's not intentional. Now, I think you do it automatically. Mm. But how does that make you feel when you hear, you know, those things? Mm. Well, you know, obviously... Folks, if you ever want to be a, a guest on a podcast, this is the most encouraging <laughs> podcast ever. So very encouraged. The work ethic goes back to my, it's my, it's my life, my life motto, I guess. I don't have a motto, but it's like, it's who I am. It goes, again, goes back to the message of the book is like, I want to leverage God's given me health and he's given me opportunity and I'm grateful. So if I'm grateful for what I've received, that I've been pulled away from something, the way that you show gratitude, this is a life principle. This is not about Chris. This is not about my book. This is a life principle for all of us. When you truly are grateful for what you've received, it automatically makes you want to give. Think about it. You're in a Starbucks line. Somebody pays for your drink ahead of you. You immediately are grateful, right? With a reflex, you don't even think about it. You're like, I want to pay for the person behind me. Absolutely. When you're grateful for what you got, it makes you want to give. When you're grateful for what you got, it makes you want to give. You could say this, that generosity is gratitude in action. And silent gratitude is useless. So for me, work ethic is just being grateful that I get to live this life as opposed to the way that I grew up. And I'm just grateful. I'm like, I want to leverage. I want to maximize all the opportunities that God's given me. And that means getting out there and gripping and ripping it and working. Uh, I feel like work, and I'm getting a man of faith. I feel like work is worship. It literally is. He's given you the opportunity and the ability and the skills and the talents to work and to put it to action. And then obviously you within reason and you have times of rest on purpose. So that's the work ethic piece. Yeah. The ability to really value people and make them feel like they're the only person on the planet I'm going to slow my roll just for a second. Yeah. I really like the listener if they can just lean in for a second. This is something that we really need to understand as a culture, myself included. Just like transparency and vulnerability are rare today. So therefore, it has power because it's rare. Rare things have power. Rare things have value. We're in an economy right now where certain types of land are very rare. 
well, immediately, rarity makes the value go up. So vulnerability and transparency are rare, so therefore they're more valuable, more powerful, more impactful. The same thing goes true, is true with eye contact and paying attention to people and listening to what they're saying and putting the phone down. All right, you guys weren't anticipating that, were you? I gotcha. Yeah, today's world, if you'll just put the phone down and look somebody in the eye and listen to what they're saying, it's just a lost practice. Even me talking a little bit slower right now because of our high pace and especially your listenership that a lot of them are in the medical community. They're rocking and rolling. Their next thing, let's go, let's go. Professionals, the leadership junkies, they're like, oh, I want the next con. Slow down. Go back to law of reciprocity. I wonder, I don't really feel a connection with that team member. I don't feel a connection with that. I want this promotion, but I don't really feel like my leader notices me. Well, when's the last time, again, focusing on what we can control, I didn't realize how much all this is all packaged together, where we really paid attention to somebody. And so you've seen me in the environment of a church lobby. I feel like when you've been brought through a lot of stuff and you carry that weight with you, it makes you more empathetic. Empathy is one of those things that's extremely rare today. Being empathetic. I'm not talking about compassion. That's great too. I'm actually not even talking about sympathy. Sympathy is feeling sorry for somebody. Empathy is putting yourself in their shoes. And so for me, in a church lobby environment, I know what it's like to go into a church lobby and feel invisible, to feel not needed, unseen, feel not important. Actually, I would go as far as saying everyone listening in today knows what it feels like to feel rejected, to feel not important, to feel less important. We just got done talking about imposter syndrome. Yeah, right. To feel like we're just not good enough. Well, my goal whenever I'm empathetically listening to somebody is to make sure they feel like they are good enough. They're worth my time. What a rare trait. And it's something that's just in my DNA from, and it comes from that gratitude I was just mm -hmm. talking about. I'm just so grateful that today I'm being seen. You're seeing me today. You're pouring life into me and I'm seeing, I'm getting this opportunity to share my life story with a lot of people. And so out of that gratitude should stir some empathy to understand that other people have felt less than before. They probably feel less than a lot. So for us to make them feel worthy, that's just such a rare trait. And it's so rewarding. I know. Because you can see it on their face when they feel listened to. They're like, somebody's listening to me. And it just goes back to the rarity. So man, if we could all just become better listeners and give people more attention and put our phone down a little bit more, it goes a long way. And when you say that, Chris, I want to dive a little bit deeper, like for the new leader that is, you know, wanting significance and wanting to lead in whatever, I mean, we're all leaders at wherever we are. But the one thing that I want to expand on is listening to the point of the person feels like you hear and understand them. It's not just listening, mm -hmm. but what you do, what you've modeled, what I intentionally try to do is when you approach someone, especially someone that respects you, and immediately you're on a pedestal, whether we like it or not, it happens and you pause and you say, how are you doing mm -hmm. today? or you ask a question and when they feel it and you're listening and you're not interrupting and you don't say anything about you mm -hmm. and you say, what can I do for you? Like that 
I, I don't want to lose that moment because some of the funny things, and I think you, you will appreciate this, some of the things that, that have happened to me before where I have met someone, they had no idea what I've done because it was like, hey, what is your name? What do you do? And I hear later on that they say, wow, he's a great guy. They don't know anything about me mm-hmm. because literally intentionally just being in the moment with them and making them feel important. And yeah, I just want everybody that is listening to this, that if you truly want to be in them, we're not talking about just leadership. We're talking about your family, yeah. sitting down with your family, sitting down with your spouse, sitting down with your friends and literally listening. Mm-hmm. It's a game changer and will impact your life. Yeah. I mean, Top things. I would say, I mean, as you're talking about that, I'm realizing how much you do this as well. Out of all my friends and people I do life with, even acquaintances and church members, I think you may be the top list. I mean, you're just, you're really good at that. Everything we're talking about, Chris, you're good. I'm like, wait a minute, Eric, <laughs> maybe you're just seeing it because you, you realize it because you're, you, you, it's a value of yours as well. But I, I, for me, I, I think I'm trying to think of everyone who's listening in some of the different pockets that are out there. I'm I like bedside manner. Yeah. That actually listen. Mm. Like, how you doing? Good. Okay. We're going to bring in some meds. Like, That's right. Or like, you know, really ask them like, how are you doing? And I know everyone's over busy and the floor's busy and all that. I get it. But somehow carving out some margin to be a good listener to the best of your ability with your schedule. And then I, th- I thought about like, you know, leadership. Yeah, I wonder how much we overestimate the tasks and underestimate the listening ability. Like yeah. if you can get the loyalty of your team, how many more tasks would get done because they want to, don't feel like they have to. hundred percent. So I don't know, but it's, uh, it's a huge, I didn't realize I do that, but you call it out now and I'm like, okay, I, I do think that's one of the things that the team really appreciates yeah. about me and something that I would like to continue. Yeah. The goal would be, it would be an overflow of your heart, yeah. not a tactic or a strategy. hundred percent. Yeah. And that's authentic. Yeah. Definitely. So I'm going to transition for a minute with something that I have seen, but I want you to talk about is your disciplines and habits, because you're very intentional about everything that you do. What are some of the things that you do that are habits that really help you position yourself mentally, physically, to get ready to tackle the difficulty of life? Well, it's funny. You know, we never realize how much influence we have until later, like even just you talking right now. But I had this baseball coach when I was in uh, high school who was only my baseball coach for a year. And he was like 75 and I was a 15-year-old punk. So 15-year-old punks, and I really truly was a punk, don't really listen to 75-year-olds. Sure. So the fact that I still hold on to this today is insane. But he always told me, he would say, he would always call me out that I'm better than, he saw me for what I was going to turn into, not what I was, which is a huge, that's a podcast in itself. But he always talked about three different characteristics and they've stuck with me for all this time. What is that? 15, 30, 31 years. Can't wait to hear him. Yeah. So he always said, it comes down to these three things. And he like Harvard grad. I think he was a retired Harvard grad and like worked for IBM and he was a stud. And these are the three things he, so for me, I've just, these three things mean a lot to me. Number one was responsibility. Like take responsibility, be responsible. Responsibility goes a long way. It's just one word. But like all of us listening in, like how responsible am I? Like am I, and I guess with that comes a little bit of dependability, but it's like how responsible am I? So responsibility of like, 
Am I uh, responsible with having a budget for my family? Am I responsible for uh, running the organization well and being a good steward of the organization? Am I watching expenses and keeping expenses down and, and increasing revenue? Like, am I being responsible? So that's number one. Number two is discipline. And I think you might've used that word. For me, self-discipline is huge. I mean, if you define discipline and this definition is gonna mess people up. It's gonna mess you up. It messed me up and it still messes me up. Discipline is giving up what you want today for what you really want tomorrow. Very few people do that. The, the whole idea of delayed gratification is so rare that when you see it, you're like, oh my goodness. It is living, uh, Holly and I just got done building our dream house, but it was living in a house way below our means for 20 years to be able to build this house. Yeah. Uh, living in a house that we were living on like 30% of our income for years and years to finally be able to build this house. But no one knows the story behind the story right. or right. like delayed gratification. So disciplines are really big for me and, it, and it's a, it, discipline bleeds. What I mean by that is discipline bleeds into other areas. So when you're not disciplined with your fitness, then you're not disciplined with your nutrition, mm -hmm. then you're not disciplined with how well you're a listener, which is what we just got done talking about. And then you start feeling bad about yourself, your self-confidence goes down, and then you start turning into imposter syndrome because you know that you're not disciplined, but in public, you're trying to act like you're disciplined. Do you guys see the cycle? It just keeps going and keeps going. But if you're disciplined behind the scenes, you can walk with more confidence. That gap between how good you're supposed to be and how good you know you are gets smaller. The imposter syndrome goes away. Then you start feeling better about yourself. So then you start listening to people. But okay, so anyway, you guys get the point. Discipline's number two. And number three is initiative. Showing initiative to see things. I, I walked in the office this morning and the first thing I saw was that two, trashes, two trash cans need to be, to be taken out. I'm the leader here. I'm, the, I'm supposed to be the lead pastor, the senior pastor. Like, oh, you're taking out trash? I mean, it's initiative. It needs done. Take it out. And shoot, if you wanted to add a fourth, it would be humility. If you're asking me my, some leadership traits and the humility to be able to take out the trash, that you're not above any kind of different project. So, man, if we all four, myself included, were to work on those four things, I think those are four things that really shape me as a leader that I want to model those four things. In discipline, I want to pause for a second and capture this as the motivation and discipline. And in fact, Chris, my son, which you know very well, you know, talked about discipline when I interviewed him. That was and a fascinating <laughs> podcast, by so the way. So he fun. encouraged me. He was talking about push-ups. I'm like, <laughs> I did push-ups like every day for six weeks after that. So. Yeah, so his routine of push-ups and taking a cold shower, just the little things. But I think the part of that is that you don't feel motivated to do it, but the discipline is you do it anyway. The motivation comes later. Mm -hmm. Man, I wish I would have known that years ago. And to be able to fight through, I don't want to. The hardest thing sometimes mm -hmm. is getting off the couch yep. and to do it. And it's a powerful thing. And you have modeled that and it's contagious. And you're right. It's all together. It's your whole entire life. It's everything that you do. Mm -hmm. And when you fail, which we all fail, instead of just beating ourselves up, tomorrow's a new day. Yeah. Get up and try it again. Mm -hmm. And if you fail, shake it off. Yeah. 24 hours, let it go and move on, right? So letting go of the past and just focusing on the future, it's a powerful thing. One of the things that I really wanted to know, and I can't wait to hear your response, is in your role right now as a pastor, 
in the medical community. It's, there's very similar things, but I really wanted to talk to you about how you handle problems. Mm. As a leader, there are problems that come to you all of the time. And the further along you get in leadership, it really is defined on how well you're able to handle a problem and you communicate that. You know, what comes out of you? Are you mad? Are you angry? But you deal with major problems. I mean, people are calling you when their family members are literally on their last hours mm -hmm. of living. But you're dealing with normal life. But walk us through how do you handle problems? Well, I think first it would be before the problems ever exist is making sure I have enough margin in my life to think clearly. So if we're redlining and we have no margin in our life, you're not going to handle conflict well. You're going to react instead of lead. So if you want to lead through a conflict, you've got to have enough emotional and mental bandwidth to be able to actually lead. So, you know, as a leader, if you're a leader listening in, 20% of your current task list should be empowering someone else or delegating. If they can do it 80% as good as you, give it away. So now you just freed up 20% for you to be able to think and be able to have an emotional margin to be able to handle conflict well. The second thing I would say is defining the problem for what it actually is. A lot of times we see problems and that's not actually the problem. So Nancy may be coming in 20 minutes late for her nursing shift and she looks like she's miserable. She yells at the first two or three nurses that she comes in contact with. She hates her assignments. She didn't chart, you know, whatever it is. She is just off her rocker. And you're like, what is wrong with this girl? And you, immediately we think we need to write her up for doing this wrong. When really maybe she's got a husband at home that's sick. Uh, like you got to define the problem accurately first. I think a lot of times we go to the symptoms and we don't go to the actual root problem. So for me, I want to define what the problem actually is. I got a lot of like, you know, church and ministry examples, but I, I think maybe the, the medical example helps a little bit more. But so for me, it's define the problem the best. Number two is, and this is a, a biblical concept. It is Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, it talks about going directly to the person. Okay. So for me, it's, if you can, a lot of times there is a, there's an expectation gap of, we thought somebody was going to behave this way. They behave this way. How do you handle the expectation gap? That actually makes problems get worse or better how we handle the expectation gap. The best way for you to handle the expectation gap is to go directly to the person with a soft tone and talk to them and say, hey, I was expecting this. This is what happened. Can you just help me understand? Because a lot of times, and this is worth repeating, a lot of times we assume something that is not even accurate. A lot of times we assume things that aren't really accurate. So that would be number two is goes directly to the person. Gossip is so divisive and gossip is so not fair and gossip makes you feel like a horrible person. It actually hurts you just as much as it hurts the other person. And the last thing I would say about conflict management is conflict is inevitable, but drama is a choice. Mm. And for me, you can handle the conflict without ever entertaining the drama. Show some maturity, let the monkeys enjoy the circus, and you just handle the conflict. And when drama arises, you exit the building. Yeah. Okay, I'm handling the conflict. And if you're gonna be dramatic about this, you need to take a couple of days off. And when the drama's gone, you can come back. But I would not, I don't, that's the way I run the church. The, 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 we don't do drama. 
I'll handle conflict all day long. Right. But the second it turns into drama, it's like, hey, here's a list of eight other churches. I love you, yeah. but th- these churches might be better for you. I'm not, drama, whatever you're running, your organization, your team, your goals and what you're going after is way more important than the deal with drama. Yeah, man, it's so powerful. And I wanted to kind of summarize in my mind as you're saying this, Chris, is, you know, handling problems, the assumptions kill, mm-hmm. like literally. And part of what you talked about earlier was you have to listen and you have to lead with questions because you don't know pieces of the puzzle, mm-hmm. medical mistakes. Yeah. We know about those. But if you were to go in and say, and you only go in with one side of the story, but you're like, I really want to understand why this happened. Tell me your side of the story mm-hmm. versus coming in and saying, you messed up. Mm-hmm. It's a disaster at that point. It, it destroys trust. But all of these are sort of inter- intertwined with leadership, leading yourself, and which obviously is the most important thing that we ever do is to lead ourselves first. And the, and we hardest, about this. And the hardest thing I it's do. It's <laughs> very hard. It's very hard. And yeah. you know, we all struggle with that, if we're completely honest, for the leadership package. And that's the way that I view it. It's not leadership professionally. It's like, what is my leadership package from... Mm-hmm my kids, right? My family, my spouse, you know, what is it like for them to be on the other side of me? Mm. So we have these new leaders. So the people that listen to this, so we have physicians, we have nurses, we have paramedics, we have firefighters, police, whatever it is, you know, and then people outside of medicine, they are public service and they're like, wow, I really want to be a leader. These guys have a lot of experience. Chris comes in with, you know, two decades worth of experience if you would go back, Chris, and, and you're thinking at the very beginning for a new leader that is aspiring to be a good leader, what advice could you give them to at least start the journey? What is something that has made a difference that you can look back and say, I wish I would have known this mm. early? What advice? Yeah, I mean, first of all, we have to understand it. So you said young leader. So if I'm putting myself in their shoes at let's say they're 25 or 30 and young for me now is like 38, 40, but whatever. But we have to understand that everything we want now is like touch of a button. So everything's just really fast. I want Wi-Fi. I'm on an airplane. I'm 30,000 feet in the air and I want Wi-Fi. It's one button. It's like, no way. So we have to understand that we live in a microwave culture. So I do think I just want to be patient. Don't automatically assume because you were a stellar performer for six months, you deserve a promotion. Okay. So everyone be patient. I've actually shared this before. If you want a promotion, there's three things you need to do. Number one, and don't go past number one to go to number two, (laughs) number three. Number one is kill your job description. Yes. You have to be good at what you do. And not only just do it, you have to exceed expectations with what you were hired to do, which means you're taking that specific weight off your leader. You're crushing your job description. Number two, and this one takes a little explanation, is care about what your leader cares about. What I don't mean here is that they love the University of Tennessee volunteers, that you automatically have to love the University of Tennessee volunteers, although you'd have a lot of points with me. <laughs> and <you> did. me. <laughs> <laughs> but what I mean is if expenses low is important to them, revenue high is important to them, expanding a floor is important to them, whatever it may be, that the thing that they're going after, try to really internalize that and care about what they care about because you're automatic, genuinely, but you're going to connect with them on what they're most excited about. They want to have the, the best bedside care ratings in all of the region, whatever it may be. 
here I am being so ignorant about the medical field. I'm trying to give some examples. <laughs> it's good. Now, Your listenership's awesome. laughing at me. <laughs> but anyway, you guys get the point. But whatever industry you're in, to care about what they care about, genuinely. But only if you can do it genuinely. And then the last one is to solve the biggest problems. Like, whatever the care of, like, solve them. Don't just care about it, but like, now this gets a little tricky when you get into like really big corporate environments because you actually are, in a lot of ways, you're, you're encouraged to stay in your lane and don't yes. get outside your lane. So you got to watch this one carefully. This one, you got to be a little subtle, like just your direct report or just, the, mm-hmm. just your supervisor. I've heard stories of like, if you work in DC and you're in one of these big, huge 10,000 employee buildings and everyone's got a cubicle the second that you get outside your lane and you start thinking about more efficient plans, they like literally ax you. Like they like give you a warning, but if you like do any kind of proactive thinking, that's not what they're looking for. So be careful in the big, but you guys get, hopefully everyone gets it. But like, if you can solve the biggest problems, those kind of people are the people that I'm going to promote. Yeah. People that care yeah. about what I care about, people that kill their job description and people that solve the biggest problems. And you just got to be careful the way you do those things. And then, you know what? I'm going to add a bonus. Are you okay with that if I add a bonus? <laughs> Lay it on us, man. All right. I'm, my mind is like blown right now. <laughs> I can't wait to go back and listen to this and take notes. Here's a bonus for everyone. This is going to shock everyone. All right. Be pleasant. Oh, my goodness. Like, the type of rarity today, just be somebody that everyone wants to be around at, 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 in the office. Just be somebody like, man, I want to be around that person. That person's pleasant. Some of those things we talked about earlier, they encourage, they, they listen well, they care about other people, get there 15 minutes early, leave 15, 20 minutes late, be the last one that locks up the door with the supervisor, like just be a pleasant person that is dependable and loyal. And so that's what I would tell. It's a lot of it's blocking and tackling. Yeah. A lot of that's not like the 360 windmill dunk yeah. is just block and tackle. Do what you were told to go back to being initiative, responsibility, yeah. discipline, be dependable. Yeah. So... I, that's wow. what I would tell a young leader. I'm going to add to that as a bonus. Mm-hmm. And I think this also is going to blow some people away. So in the medical community, we are evaluated like on a six month basis. So we go in and they grade us. Here's your performance. Here is my mindset is when I walk in, I want them to say, I would hire you again. Mm, yeah. But here's the thing. This is the part that's going to blow everybody away. I do the same with my kids in Clarissa. And I, in my mind, at least once a year, I will ask Clarissa and the kids, how am I doing as a dad? Because my mindset is I don't want to ever be stagnant to say that you married me or I'm your father and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. But to go in with the approach of, have, do I requalify? Would you choose me as wow. a dad again? Would you choose me as a husband again? I'm, scared. Li- I'm scared to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's a mindset <laughs> yeah. shift about yeah. the value of being a team member. It mm-hmm. is, there's powerful lessons in that. Yeah. But that's what we need to do as leading, yep. leading ourselves. And that's why I, I keep going back to that. Everything we're talking about is not leading in the corporate setting. It's literally leading yourself first yep. to get everything else taken care of. Mm. And I know we're getting close to the end. And I wanted to ask you this, Chris, is 
think back and all of the things you've done and you've done from, you know, flying around the country, being on the plane more than you're in the hometown and speaking in front of tens of thousands of people on a stage with spotlights to the point where you did mentoring to youth and no one knew and there was no lights on. What is the best leadership advice? Uh, it, may, it may be a hard question, the best. What is one of the most valuable leadership lessons you have ever learned in your life? Oh, this is, I'm going to cheat a little bit. The best leadership book I've ever read, which has a lot of principles in it, so I'm cheating, is How to Win Friends and Influence nice people. people. Because whatever you're leading, if you're listening in, no matter what industry, even if you're leading your family and your sphere of influence maybe is just five or six people or seven or eight people, you need people because we're in the people business. Everything, whatever, no matter what industry you're in the people business. So I read this book by Howard Schultz. He says, I'm not in the coffee business, Starbucks guy. I think it's Howard Schultz. I'm in the people business. Well, whatever you're doing, you're in the people business. So how do you win with people? That's a big one. And then to really answer your question the right way with the best advice, it comes from Bob Goff. And Bob Goff says, pretend that every person that you meet has a sticker on their forehead that says, make me feel special. Oh. Yeah, Whoa. I want to feel special. Whoa, that's heavy. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm like, if you do that well. Golly, that's... If like, you do that in a boardroom, if you do that on a sales pitch, if you do that on a nursing floor, if you do that as you're coming out of surgery as a doctor and you're explaining to that family that they're going to lose their son, no matter what you're doing, if you can make your wife in the kitchen, your kid at a ball game, and just imagine them having a sticker on their forehead that says, make me feel special. Or I want to feel special, I think is what he said. Not make me sounds real entitled, but like I want to feel special because every single one of us wants to feel special. We want to feel needed, we want to feel important. So uh, man, if there's any leadership advice, because that takes care of everything else. Man, it does. I mean, it takes, uh, they, all the leadership principles that I've learned, that right there I think is the umbrella over all of them. Man. Like, I visualize that right now. It's such a powerful thing. Well, Chris, for everybody holding up this book, how can they learn about you? How can they follow you? Yeah, so the Where book... Where can they get this? The book is on Amazon. I guess wherever books are sold. Yeah. Uh, Amazon. I'm actually an Audible guy, so I'm actually, I've actually never read it. I read the transcript or the uh, <laughs> manuscript, obviously, but I've, I like the Audible, yeah. so I'd go to Audible. And then, you know, finding me, it's Chris Brown on air on all social media. Okay. Uh, all one word, Chris Brown on air. And then chrisbrownonair.com for any kind of uh, yeah. speaking engagements or anything like that. But yeah, yeah I'll, actually, I'll go as far as saying I want to give away. Generosity is a big part of who I am. And so anybody who is listening in, let's see here. The first three people to reach out to me somehow through DM or whatever, I'll send them a book for free. That so, is incredible. But it's yeah. awesome. I, I'm only doing three because I haven't ran up my holly yet. My, my wife would be like, "What are you doing? You do know authors make money off of not giving away their books by selling them." She gets mad at me all the time. She says, "If you would just sell as many as you give away, but uh, whatever." But uh, yeah, Chris Brown on air. Yeah. Well, Chris, I want to ask you this, and as we close, is I know service is a big part and add in value. Speaking to the community that is listening to this, that have tough days, you know, they go in and, you know, they put their life on the line. They are serving others on the way that they are giving themselves, even when they have nothing to give. And they do it. They do it on the 24-hour shift. They do it on a 12-hour shift. On an ambulance, on a fire truck, in a police car, in the hospital, 
could you share any encouraging words for the people that are struggling to be like, is it worth it? Can you just give us some hope on lifting them up and adding value to them as we close? Yeah, I would love to. There's a principle that we talk about here at the church that's not necessarily a faith-based topic, but it's something that goes into the psyche of every human. We are all wired to thirst and starve for two things. No matter what your background is, this is like at the core of who we are as people, and that those listening and that really study the brain and neuroscience are going to be like, okay, <laughs> they're going to say, oh, do I agree with them or not? This is through a lot of research. This isn't just me having indigestion. But number one is we are all starving for community. Okay, we just do it. We, we, start, we are meant to do life with other people. So we have that. Then we also all starve for a thing called purpose. But what, one of those by themselves is actually incomplete. So if you have purpose without community, then it turns into an obligation. I'm going somewhere with this. If you have community, but you don't have purpose, that is a distraction. But if you combine the two, it's magic. So for that person who's listening in, and maybe they're approaching burnout, they're in that season of like, man, I'm dry. And man, I need some hope. I mean, this is heavy. I'm, I'm coming home with a lot of weight. I want to encourage you to run after the intersection of those two things, purpose and community. Find community with what you do. Those people that are in that car, that ambulance car with you all the time, do life with them. Mm -hmm. Find a way to do life with people on your floor. Find life to do people that share the same weight that you share because there's a camaraderie that comes with that weight. That's what I love about the vision of this podcast, bringing this community together. And I know you have lots of listeners outside of the medical community, but a lot of them are medical. You're creating this tribe that we can do. Here, I'm we. I'm, you're sucking me in, man. I'm like, let's go. I'm going to get it. I'm gonna, you're in, buddy. I'm going to get a fifth job. <laughs> That's what you do. So you're creating this. I want to be yeah, part of yeah, it, you yeah. know? So don't try to do your profession in the medical community on your own. You're going to be so, you're, you need, we need each other. So that's over here. And then don't forget the purpose of what you're doing, the value you're adding to society, the value you're adding to those lives, the value and the value that you get from it. Mm -hmm. Think about it. You may be underselling how rewarding it is to you, how fulfilling it is to you. What if you were just going to have a, a widget job where you're just going to like, that's really hard to kind of define purpose. Right. You have to really stretch. Yours is easy to, you don't have to stretch it. Like you're like, that is obviously. And then I think for me, if I were in that, those shoes and I was coming home weighty, and I kind of do on the spiritual side, yeah. it's very similar actually. So what would the world look like if people like me didn't do this? What would it look like if that car wreck last week, if no one showed up? Right. If the phone call came in and there was no dispatch, what would, this, what would the world look like if I didn't step up? And that, the fulfillment from that would really help motivate me and inject hope into my life. And so I pray that anyone listening in and you're in that boat right now, Find that community and purpose. And then a little bonus is make sure that you're really strategic with your time to get away and to get away and clear your head and be able to just enjoy creation and enjoy the people that are closest to you. Yeah. Man, this was incredible. And the time flew by. And Chris, you make a difference. You do. You've made a difference in my life. You've made a difference in thousands of people's lives in today. And I just wanted to... Thank you for who you are and what you've done for all of us. And thanks for sharing yeah. today. True honor, man. Cheering on the show and you got a raving fan over here. 
I am so grateful that I was able to share this conversation with Chris with you today. Don't forget to check out his book, Restored. For those that want to watch us on YouTube, please see the link below in the show notes. Also, please remember to share this episode with others and give it a five-star review. Until next time, remember, be intentional about your leadership journey and remember that you are the most important person that you will ever lead.